Okay, so the Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling. So who should go on here? There have been hundreds and hundreds, thousands even, pro wrestlers over the years, over the decades. How do you narrow it down to only four people? It's not easy. And as I was making this list and going down and I was adding names and adding names and I thought, oh, oh, and then there's this guy. Oh, and then there's this guy. Oh, and then there's this guy. And like, it just kept going on and on. And then as I was, I was talking to Dawn about this, she says, well, what about some of the women? I'm like, oh my God, that's right. Like there's women, women could have their own Mount Rushmore of wrestling. So I don't know, like I'm going to do this and I'm probably going to, you know, if you, if you're listening to this and you're a pro wrestling fan, I'm probably going to leave out your favorite wrestler and I'm probably going to annoy you. If you don't like my picks, Hey, that's fine. That's great. We could have a civil discussion about this. I don't have you here in my office to talk to you about this. So I'm going to give you my picks. If you don't agree with them, give me your picks. You let me know. So without further ado, let's just jump right in. Um, first up, I've got, uh, uh, these are all possibilities. And at the end, I'm going to tell you who I've chosen to be on my Mount Rushmore. Uh, first up, I've got Hulk Hogan. I don't think that there's a person alive who has watched any sort of pro wrestling who doesn't know who Hulk Hogan is. In the 1980s, when he came back to the WWF at the time, WWE now, but when he came back to the WWE, he, he became larger than life. Hulkamania was real. Forget about the fact that in terms of pure wrestling moves, Hulk Hogan's moves are pretty basic. You know, there's not a lot of big technical spots with, with him. But he had that charisma, and people cheered for him, and they screamed for him, and they loved him. There's no doubt about it. I think if you watch wrestling today even, and as they scan the crowd, just about every week, I think you're going to see a Hulk Hogan t-shirt out there in that crowd somewhere. He's just, you know, and he hasn't actively wrestled in quite some time. Uh, and, you know, he's certainly a long way from the heyday of the 1980s. Well, let's face it, we all are. Um, <laughs> and then not only did Hulk Hogan, he was the ultimate good guy in the 80s, the baby face, as they call him in wrestling. But in the 90s, when he moved over to WCW and he kept the same, same shtick going, the same character, well, the fans started to turn on him a little bit. Ah, it's tired, it's cartoonish, it's boring. And then what happens at Bash at the Beach when Kevin Nash and Scott Hall are beating the crap out of some of the WCW guys and then the WCW guys start to get the upper hand you know Scott Hall Kevin Nash they're the outsiders and then who starts coming down the aisle it's Hulk Hogan everybody's like hey Hulk Hogan's here he's gonna he's gonna help beat these outsiders no no he joined them and they formed the NWO 
which became huge. I mean, it was, you know, for a few years there, there was no stopping WCW based off of how they marketed that whole NWO versus WCW angle. And then, of course, they wrecked it all. But the point of this is that Hulk Hogan, he went from the ultimate babyface to the ultimate heel, the ultimate bad guy. Boom, switch, and it worked. And people loved it. And then when he came back to the WWE, after WCW had been bought out, and they had WrestleMania in Toronto again, and it was The Rock versus Hulk Hogan, and The Rock is the good guy, and Hulk Hogan's the bad guy, but the crowd was cheering Hulk Hogan. And at the beginning of that match, you can hear the crowd just chanting Hulk Hogan, Hogan, Hogan. And The Rock and the Hulkster are in the middle of the ring, and you see them looking, it's comical almost, back and forth at the crowd, and they were in shock. That's not how it was supposed to be. The Rock was supposed to be the ultimate good guy and kicking the crap out of this old geezer Hulk Hogan, who's the bad guy. The crowd didn't see it that way. The crowd cheered for Hulk Hogan. So, and then, and I'm leaving out all the controversial stuff that these people have done. Uh, some of them have said some horrible things over the years. We're leaving all that out. I'm going strictly by wrestling here. So first up as a nominee for my Mount Rushmore of Wrestling, I've got Hulk Hogan. Next on my list, The Undertaker. If there was ever a character who epitomized what it meant to be a pro wrestler, it's The Undertaker, as portrayed by Mark Calloway. They just recently released a documentary where they'd followed him around for a few years with a camera, you know, sort of like they did in, on, on The Office and Modern Family and uh, Parks and Recreation. Well, they they did this for real, and they had the they had the little interviews afterwards, and you got to know that well, you know, The Undertaker is much more than uh, his character. He's Mark Calloway, but he has for 30 years or more, well, he's been the Undertaker for 30 years. Nobody, nobody has had the same character for that long or racked up a record like he has. 21-0 and 0 at WrestleMania until Brock Lesnar pinned him, uh, which was shocking. You know, they, there's the, the famous picture of the crowd after that pin and there's a guy in in the in the front row and his eyes are wide in shock and his mouth is just dropped because the undertaker always wins at wrestlemania lesnar beat him on top of being the ultimate professional and always in character in, in the whole time that he played the undertaker character I only saw one interview with him where he wasn't actually in character. He came out and he was Mark Calloway. And that was on TSN, off the record, with Michael Landsberg. 
Now, people say a lot of bad things about Michael Landsberg. But one thing I always respected him for was when he was interviewing the professional wrestlers, he treated them with respect and treated them like the athletes that they are. Because make no mistake, folks, is pro wrestling fake? Well, in so much as the results are predetermined, yes. But you and I can't go in that ring and do what they do. Bret Hart famously said once when asked, well, your job is to sell the move. How do we know if it hurts? And he, he just looks right, and it was Landsberg again, and he said, how do we know if it really hurts? And Bret Hart looks at him and says, well, if it looks like it really hurts, it probably really hurts. Because you can't fake a lot of that. You can know how to take, take a bump, a fall, how to bounce off the ropes properly. But if you don't know how to even bounce off the ropes properly, you can seriously hurt yourself just running the ropes. In addition to all that with The Undertaker, he had the respect of the locker room. You ask a pro wrestler today who the locker room leader has been in the WWE for the last several decades, and it is The Undertaker, or Taker. They just call him Taker. Hey, Taker, how's it going? Um, he would be the one to mediate disputes between wrestlers. Could he be bought off? Well, apparently, if he, he likes Harleys and Jack Daniels. Um, but, you know, you bring up some of that stuff. But they respected his decision because he was fair. He was all business. He wasn't one of these guys. You didn't see him. Well, you didn't see him out of character with the one exception there on, on off the record on TSN. He was always the undertaker. He took that seriously. And because he took it seriously and because he was able to reinvent the character two or three times during that run, he had everybody's respect. The lights go down and that bell tolls, bong. Everybody knows that it's The Undertaker, that music swells, and the crowd goes nuts every single time. So our second nominee, Mark Calloway, The Undertaker. Uh, next up, well, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've put two guys together here. Because I've got a list here. I could be here all day talking about this. Next up, I've got Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. These two guys epitomized what they call the Attitude Era, which was, you know, in the 90s into the early 2000s, where they were really edgy. There's a lot of, well, just crazy stuff that was done. But these two characters... These two characters were absolutely leading the charge when it came to the Attitude Era. Now, they're both worthy. I mean, I think just about everybody has, has well, I shouldn't say just about everybody. A lot of people know who Steve Austin is. And everybody pretty much knows who the Rock is, Dwayne Johnson, because he has transcended wrestling and gone on to be one of the premier movie stars of our time. I think the only thing he hasn't done is a Marvel movie. That might be coming. Who knows? 
but if you wanted two guys, they could talk on the mic. They, they could play off each other. They had these epic matches with each other, with other wrestlers. They brought, they were part of the team, probably the heads of the team, that brought wrestling from the cartoon era to the modern era. A little bit edgier, a little bit more realism. So those two guys are on there. Next up, as a candidate for my Mount Rushmore of wrestling, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Vince McMahon himself. He is the man who owns the WWE. And it's not a wrestling company. It's a sports entertainment company. And he's always been very clear about that. It's not wrestling. Sports entertainment. Vince McMahon bought the company from his father in the early 80s. And back then when he bought the, the WWF, it was regional. And there was all sorts of regional territories. The WWF, they were up around that New York, Connecticut area. And then there was, other, Stu Hart had, you know, Calgary in Canada, you know, that part of Canada. Um, AWA had had a territory. Von Erichs had a territory. And it was all, it was a patchwork across the continent and who controlled what area. And there was a gentleman's agreement in place amongst all these guys that you don't cross borders. Well, when Vince McMahon bought the company from his father, cable television was just starting to come into its own. And so what Vince Jr. did was he taped his show and then shipped it off to all of these cable companies across the country. So you could be in Texas, you could be in Montana, California, Nevada, and you would be seeing the WWF on your cable company because Vince McMahon saw into the future and saw what was coming. So he pushed his product onto everybody else, which brought in a whole bunch of money to the company. And then he used that money to steal the top stars from all the other promotions. Hulk Hogan, Sergeant Slaughter, all these guys, all the big stars of the 80s, by and large, they were in other territories. And Vince McMahon lured them in with money because really, let's face it, a paycheck is a paycheck. And that's what he did. He brought them in and just expanded his empire, so to speak, and drove everybody else out of business. Because if all you've got is a bunch of no-name guys who... You know, they're okay workers, but you know what? They just, they don't have the charisma. They don't have the mic skills. People don't care about them as much. Hey, whatever happened to Hulk? Well, he's over there in in uh, Vince's promotion. Well, now, and, and you can watch it on TV. You didn't have to wait for it to come to the local arena, the local bingo hall, the local gym, which is where a lot of these guys were. Um. So Vince McMahon changed the face of wrestling. And then he came up with the idea of WrestleMania. They called it the granddaddy of them all, the greatest show. And they took a hell of a risk creating WrestleMania. 
And if the first WrestleMania had failed, Vince McMahon would be but a footnote in the history of professional wrestling. But it didn't fail. It was huge. It went across all media they had. And he had the, the mainstream stars there. He had Cindy Lauper and Liberace and Muhammad Ali was there. All these big name figures in the world of sports and entertainment came to WrestleMania. Well, that legitimized it. It was a huge success. And 30 plus years later, here we are. Um, and, and just what he's done. Now, you might argue and not be wrong that as of late, Vince McMahon is maybe not as in touch with your average everyday fan. And that's fine. But there's no denying that Vince McMahon changed the way wrestling was presented forever. Made it mainstream. Made it okay. Made it kid-friendly. Family-friendly. So he's my next nominee. Next up on my list is uh, Bruno Sammartino. Now, if you're a younger fan and you're listening to this, you're like, well, who's he? Bruno Sammartino was Hulk Hogan before there was a Hulk Hogan. He held the heavyweight championship for seven years. Great, big Italian guy. Huge and charisma, and everybody loved him. I've only seen one match of his. It was in the early 80s, maybe mid-80s. He fought Randy Savage. They fought for the Intercontinental title. And, well, Bruno didn't win the title. But the crowd loved him. And he didn't lose the match either. I can't remember how it ended. It was a bit of a screw job end. But Bruno was huge. This man, he had a private audience with the Pope, with his family. Uh, all the celebrities, they knew him. Now, this is back in, in the 60s and 70s. The man sold out Madison Square Garden. Yes, that Madison Square Garden. 187 times as the headliner. Thousands, tens of thousands of people would chant his name. Bruno, Bruno. Uh, and he he was, again, he was a re really re well-respected guy. And he and probably the reason, if you're a younger fan, why you may not have heard of Bruno Sammartino was he stepped away from the business for a long time. Uh, didn't like necessarily what Vince McMahon was doing with it. Didn't agree with the direction it was gone. And he didn't really want to have anything to do with it. And... Finally, a few years ago, like five years ago, maybe six, I can't remember exactly, uh, Triple H, Paul Levesque, went to Bruno and said, Bruno, we want to put you in our Hall of Fame, and here's why, and convinced him to attend and to allow this to happen. And you know what? The fans that were there, you could see the younger fans, and they were enthusiastic, but you could see in the crowd, you could see their fathers and their grandfathers in some cases, and they were just as happy, cheering. Bruno, Bruno. And a very humble man, uh, and strong as a bull, too. Uh, so 
Bruno Sammartino. He's the next guy on my list of nominees. <laughs> uh, next up, I've gone with a manager here. I've gone with Bobby the Brain Heenan. Now, if you're a fan of wrestling from the 80s, there was no manager anything like Bobby Heenan. Nobody was better than Bobby Heenan. He could talk on the mic. He could get your ire up. And he was funny. The, the partnership that he had on the commentary desk with Gorilla Monsoon, legendary. You know, modern fans talk about how good Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler are and were together. And no doubt they they were great. But Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon, th there was something special there between those two. They genuinely liked each other. And you, you could see it through the ribbing when, when they were performing their skits together and, and doing the broadcasts. If Bobby Heenan was your manager, you were guaranteed to be well-known as a wrestler in, in the WWE. And he could, he could help guys and guide them. Being a wrestler manager is not, you know, it's not just a showpiece. A lot of times what they do is um, they'll put a manager with a guy who isn't as good on the mic. He doesn't have mic skills. So by listening to this, being exposed to it every day, and then by riding with these guys, because they ride together, you learn. And you become better. The, the Rock, when he started, he was terrible on the mic. He absolutely was. And he stepped away for a while when he got hurt. And worked on getting better, but also worked on his mic skills. And he came back and became what we know as The Rock. And Bobby Heenan would do that with guys. Take guys who maybe didn't have as good command of the English language. They brought in some, you know, some of the foreign wrestlers. Um, but he could just, man, I, I just think back to all the things that he, and willing to take a bump, eh? Like he took so many bumps that he ended up having some pretty serious, uh, neck problems. And he ended up having surgery done to the point where, okay, he was, uh, hands off. You couldn't touch Bobby Heenan anymore at the end there because, uh, towards his broadcasting career because he was, uh, um, well, one wrong move and, and, you know, he could be paralyzed. And I think it came out on an episode of Nitro. One of the guys went and kind of put him in a headlock and he's like, what the F are you doing? Or something like that. And, uh, and you know, the, oh, cause everybody got caught up in the moment, but, uh, so yeah, Bobby Heenan, he's right up there and, you know, the, the WWE, they put him in the Hall of Fame, rightfully so. When he, and when he signed off, his broadcasting partner, Gorilla Monsoon, had passed away some years before. At that time, Bobby Heenan was working for WCW, and he told them, he said, um, I'm saying goodbye to my friend tonight. I don't care. Gorilla Monsoon never once worked for WCW or the AWA, from which it sprung. He was always a, a WWE guy. But Bobby Heenan said, I'm saying goodbye to my friend. And, and you know, it, it's very emotional to watch that because he, he gets through what he wants to say, but when he's done saying it, you can see him, he's choked up. 
and you know that's his friend and when he was inducted into the hall of fame he ended by saying i wish monsoon was here so there's my next candidate for being on the wrestling mount rushmore bobby heenan bobby the brain heenan up next i got rick flair possibly the greatest of all time uh, wwf in the 80s here they had hulk hogan uh, wcw awa because awa sort of and wcw is sort of the same company there um well they had rick flair and he was the he epitomized the character that he played so much that he's really become that character uh, that you know the the line between the the real uh, the real Ric Flair and the character Ric Flair is is pretty blurred. And when you play these characters uh, year day in and day out for years on end, it, it's hard to not do that. So Ric Flair has held sixteen titles, and you, oh, it's it's all fake. You know what? You only hold the title. You only hold the title if you are good enough. And had just some epic matches with Ricky Steamboat and Dusty Rhodes and Sting. And eventually him and Hulk Hogan finally hooked up. Ric Flair came over. This was funny. Ric Flair came to the WWF in the early 90s and the with the real world's heavyweight title belt. Because his contract with WCW had expired. And he was still champion. And Vince McMahon's like, well, come on over. Bring your belt. So that was embarrassing for the other guys. But Ric Flair, he always backed it up. And he could talk on the mic. And he was charisma. And, you know, just... The things he did. The man was in a plane crash. Broke his back. And was told you're never going to walk again. Well that was. 35 or 40 years ago. He had a hell of a career in between. And. Lots of people. You know, he's from North Carolina. And woo. You know. Uh, that, that epic music that comes up. Never fails to. Uh, get the crowd going. Ric Flair, possibly the greatest of all time. Up next, I'm going, I've got Andre the Giant as a candidate here. Eighth wonder of the world. A lot of people know who Andre the Giant is because he was a big man. You know, you see him in The Princess Bride. He's a big man. The You, you could tell a story about Andre the Giant, about his legendary ability to drink alcohol you could not have you know i could make one up and it's probably true uh everybody heard about andre the giant he there's so many stories about him how some guys were ribbing him so he just went and turned their car upside down by himself because he could do that uh huge out, you know, inside, outside of, of the arena. I was at a show. I actually saw Andre the Giant 
and the man was just impressively large. He couldn't move as fast when I saw him because it was later on in his career. But the fact that he went out there and did his thing, it was, it was special. Andre the Giant was one of those special guys. And one of, he's one of the ones that transcended wrestling. People outside of wrestling knew who he was. And that's why I've got him on my list. Next up, I've gone with, uh, as a nominee, Roddy Roddy Piper. You know, he is, I, I picture Roddy Piper in my mind, and he's always got this big grin on his face. Because even when he was a bad guy, he was smiling. Why was he always smiling? Well, because he was the best bad guy ever in wrestling, as far as I'm concerned. He was oftentimes a good guy, but even when he was a bad guy, you couldn't help but cheer for him. He told Hulk Hogan once, and he's true, he said to Hulk Hogan, he said, the only reason they love you so much is because they hate me that much more. The original trash talker. Don't throw rocks at a man with a machine gun. Or... Perhaps his most famous line from the movie, They Live. I've come here to chew bubblegum and to kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. So, Roddy Piper, charisma personified. <clears throat> and a cough right in the middle. I wish this thing had a pause button so I could just do that. Maybe it does. I'll have to figure that out. Uh... The, the, the things that Roddy Piper would do, the way, the rises he could get out of people, he brought the best out of everybody that he worked with. And, and so that's why I've got him as a candidate on here. Now, some of you, maybe you're an older fan listening to this, and well, you haven't talked about any of the old guys really, except for Bruno. Well, that's because I really don't know a lot of the older guys. And for that, I apologize. You know, a couple names that could go up there. Luthez, Stu Hart, they're pioneers in the business. Stu Hart was more than just a patriarch of the Hart family. He was a wrestler before he became the owner of Stampede Wrestling. And, and Luthez was just a legend. I'm pretty sure the two of them probably got it on a few times. Um, but, you know, pioneers, those two absolutely have to, uh, have to be on the list of people to consider. You could have another Mount Rushmore of wrestling and have just, you know, pick four guys from the pioneers and you'd still have a hard time doing it. Uh, I talked about the rock already, you know, how he's transcended wrestling. He's become the, uh, one of the biggest mainstream stars that there is. Triple H, Paul Levesque. Now in Hunter Hearst Helmsley, which was shortened to, to Triple H. Uh, this guy, he started at the bottom. He knew what he wanted. He wanted to be at the top. And you know what? He's there. One day, he is going to run the WWE. When Vince McMahon passes away, the torch will be passed, and it'll be Triple H at the helm. 
He's going to be the guy in charge. He created NXT, which is, which for a long time served as the springboard into the WWE. And a lot of people, you know, and this is where a lot of these guys started, you know, Bailey and Charlotte and, and Kevin Owens and, and all these newer stars that are coming out. They started in NXT and, and that whole concept was created by Triple H. And the crap he went through, coming through the ranks, broke KFAB, you know, went out with the, you know, with the good guys at the infamous Madison Square Garden curtain call. And, you know, he was supposed to, he was supposed to win King of the Ring that year. And because he went out there and, you know, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were leaving the company, so they couldn't be punished. And Shawn Michaels was the champion and very popular, so you couldn't take it out on him, it, you know what? And he said it himself, uh, he was told, you're going to eat a lot of shit sandwiches. So he went down to the bottom and for a year, just lost to everybody, became essentially a jobber and worked his way back up, won the King of the Ring the next year. He'd earned that respect again, multiple titles after that and became the game, which is what his shtick is now when he's, uh, when he's wrestling, but by and large, he's backstage now running things backstage as at NXT and with, with the WWE at their shows. Now he's, he's one of the executives. Uh, so he's got to be considered just because of where he's come from and what he's become and what he will become. Women, as I said before, women, they deserve their own Mount Rushmore. And uh, God, I've already talked for half an hour about all these ones here, but I'll, I'll just run through some names. Sensational Sherry was really big in the 70s and 80s and, and a, a pioneer. And you can still hear her voice. She's passed away now. But uh, when Shawn Michaels' music hits... Um, you can still her. She's the one at the beginning going, Sean, Sean. That's sensational Sherry. Um, and a very talented wrestler. Uh, Fabulous Moolah. She came through the ranks in, in the 50s and 60s and 70s. She was, she was there forever. And in her 70s was taking bumps, like hits from these big wrestlers. Now that's dedication to your sport. Uh, Trish Stratus, who came from Toronto and just absolutely slayed it on the women's side, was phenomenal. Lita, another one that came through the ranks from the bottom. And this, these, you know, Trish Stratus, Lita, they, they came through at a time when the women's wrestling, the women's division, was not really taken all that seriously. But they were incredibly talented you don't even want to talk about women on their own stephanie mcmahon yes another mcmahon but what she has done with the current crop of women superstars took it from being a joke and enough people said hey come on like you gotta take this seriously this is you know they're not objects to the point where now women have women have wrestled in Saudi Arabia. That's a big deal. 
They weren't in all of their regular gear, of course, because they have different rules there. And when in Rome, you do as the Romans do. But women have wrestled in Saudi Arabia. It's not the divas division anymore. It's the women's division. And it's not the divas title. It's the women's title. She's responsible for a lot of that, Stephanie McMahon is. So she has to be considered. People who came before, Sonny in, in the 90s was, you know, she wasn't an active wrestler. She was a manager, as was Miss Elizabeth in the 80s to, to Randy Savage. But, you know, Miss Elizabeth, she was always really quiet and didn't really get physically involved. She would distract the other guys sometimes. So she kind of opened the door for women's managers. Sonny took it to the next level. And hey, in the 90s, everybody loved Sonny. Uh, other women that you could, Natalia has been by and far the most steady voice. She's the veteran voice now in the women's locker room in the WWE. And you could say Charlotte Flair, Ric Flair's daughter, uh, has, you know, she does whatever they need her to do. And she does it well. The Bella Twins, both of them, have, they've, well, they've transcended wrestling in a lot of ways too. So how the heck do I pick just four out of this list? It's hard. And you know what? There's guys on here I haven't mentioned. And as I'm sitting here, I'm like, I haven't talked about Shawn Michaels, Mr. WrestleMania. You know, he, he's iconic. He could be considered for this. Uh, lots of guys. Kane, you know, Glenn Jacobs has done tremendous things as well. But I got to pick four. And this is who I'm going to pick today. Tomorrow it might be different. So don't get mad at me if you want to talk to me about this and my picks change. Because like I said at the beginning, this is fluid. And people's opinions change over time. And, you know, you, oh, I didn't think of that. It could be this. So here, and this is in no particular order. All right. In no particular order. On the Mount Rushmore of wrestling, Hulk Hogan has got to be on there because of how he took it from the old era of the 60s, 50s, 60s, you know, in the 70s and brought it mainstream in the 80s and remained popular for, uh, well, to this day, Hulk Hogan is still a very recognizable name. Vince McMahon goes on there as well, simply because how he evolved the entire business model and made it what it is today. Oh, man, I'm having a hard time. I'm just... The Undertaker, because of what he did over 30 plus years. And The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, just because of how he has absolutely transcended pro wrestling to the point where if he never appeared in the WWE again, they'd still talk about him on WWE because he was such a trendsetter, and because he became so big. So there you go. Hogan, Taker, Vince McMahon, and The Rock.
There you got it, folks. There is your definitive, as of today, Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling. Thank you, everybody who's been listening. Thank you for uh, putting up with my 40-plus minutes of ranting about maybe a topic you didn't care about. Do you agree with my picks? Do you think I'm completely out to lunch? Are you going to make me lunch? If you're going to make me lunch, bring it over. I, I, I'm a sucker for a good soup. So if you want to bring me soup, just drop it off at the house. Let me know you're coming. Um, you know, I, I do this for, I do this for myself. I, I mean, I've got listeners and that's great, but even if nobody was listening to this, I would still be doing this because it gives me something to do. It allows me to focus. And I appreciate the fact that I do have people like you that are listening to this. I'd love to hear some feedback from you. Drop me a comment and we will see you next time when Crazy James Speaks. Hello and welcome to the 13th edition of Crazy James Speaks. I am your host, Crazy James. And this week, gonna talk a little bit about pro wrestling. Now wait, I know you're, maybe some of you are tuning out, but this is gonna be fun. I'm gonna talk about who should be on the Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling. This is not an easy list to make. There are only four spaces on Mount Rushmore. And if you want to narrow down the entirety of professional wrestling to four people, that is a conversation that wrestling fans, well, you could have for hours. You, you could even have it with yourself if you could talk to yourself at a different time, because everybody who I'm about to list here could be on the Mount Rushmore of, of pro wrestling. They're all innovators. They've all done crazy things and they've, they've all made a difference. So that's what our topic's going to be. And at the end of it all, I'll, I'll tell you who I've picked today. And maybe while doing this, my choices will change. So sit back and enjoy the ride. I do want to give out a shout out to a few people though, before we get into the main part of this, uh, some regular listeners have I've actually spoken I've, well regular listeners my app tells me that I've got about seven people who listen to this on a regular basis and thank you each and every one of you I appreciate it I know who three of you are okay uh first is Shar. I know you listen to this all the time and I love the feedback that you give me and you really were the person that kind of pushed me into doing this in the first place so if you have a problem with this folks out there uh, it's her fault no not really we love you Shar, and i'm so glad that you pushed me into doing this because it's really helping with my state of mind another person who listens to this on a regular basis is ben ben i had i've well i've known ben for years and recently started talking to him a little bit on facebook and he talks about how this podcast helps him escape a little bit and hey, I appreciate it, Ben. I, I hope you're listening to the pro wrestling one, buddy. And the other person who told me they listened to this is Lyle. He, he does this when he's closing down his store. So Lyle, thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks, thank, 
thank you everybody who's listening. Uh, and if, hey, other people, leave a comment down below. Love to hear from you. And uh, hey, let's figure out who's going to be on the Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling.